Welcome to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Hello. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, second time ah. looking. I've uh, plugged in a USB microphone and speaker headset, so hopefully that will help. Fingers crossed. Um, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. No worries. Um, you are episode number 24 of this Happiness podcast. Okay. Um, and in previous podcasts, I've talked with various different people about um, what happiness means to them. And I felt that it'd be a good time to get a bit of um, bit of science behind happiness. Sure. Uh, but before we we sort of get into the uh, to the crux of the matter, I was just wondering if you could possibly give a bit of a an introduction to sort of who you are and uh, what kind of waves you're making. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Dr. Juliet Wakefield. I'm a senior lecturer in social psychology at Nottingham Trent University. Um, the focus of my research is on uh, particularly looking at group memberships and how the groups that people belong to can impact on their health and well-being. So it's a growing area within social psychology called the social cure approach, which highlights this idea that as well as having a, a personal identity, so our personalities, our likes and dislikes and so on. We also have this social identity, which is created by the groups we belong to. And uh, these groups are important for how we think and behave. And when we think of ourselves as a member of a particular group, we're going to want to take on the, the norms and values of that particular group. And we all belong to lots of different groups. So I'm a Scottish person, but I'm also a psychologist. I'm a horror movie fan and so on. So when one of those groups becomes um, it's called salient, conspicuous to me, I'm going to start acting in terms of the norms and values of that particular group. So when my psychology identity is salient, I'm going to act in terms of the norms and values of that group. Whereas when I um, eventually get home to Scotland and visit my family, my Scottish identity will be salient and I'll start acting in terms of the norms and values of that group. So what that means is that groups have a big impact on our health and well-being and our behaviour and thinking as well. And the research I do tends to focus on the implications of these group memberships for people's health and well-being as well as their happiness, um, particularly groups that might be um, stigmatised or experiencing issues of deprivation. So I've looked at, for instance, groups like people who use food banks, um, people who um, are immigrants into the UK, uh, people who've experienced ill health due to COVID um, and other issues. So really the kind of whole gamut of the different groups that we can belong to um, and how they may impact on our health and well-being, basically. That's really interesting. That this, this, I've never heard of the social, is it the social cure theory? Yes. There I've are never heard of that before. Um, yeah, it's certainly growing in popularity within social psychology. It's probably less well known outside of social psychology but there are two books all about it now there's one just called the social cure and there's one called the new psychology of health unlocking the social cure um, 
and there are increasingly large numbers of journal articles on this idea of the social cure as well. Um, I guess in a nutshell, the, the theory argues that groups have a, a positive impact on our health and well-being, but only to the extent to which we identify with those groups. So that's this idea of having a, a sense of belonging to the group and a sense of commonality with the group's members. Um, if we have that subjective sense of belonging, that's when we unlock lots of positive resources, like feeling like we're going to be supported when we experience stressful events, um, feeling like we've got a sense of meaning in our life through um, this connection to the group something bigger that we can work towards a shared goal, a sense of control over the events in our lives, all of these positive things which we know can improve our health through reducing our stress and allowing us to cope better when stressful things happen. So that, I guess, in a nutshell, is the social cure approach. That's really interesting. Um, so in your um, professional experience, does this this idea of um, social identity and group membership uh, is there any any parallels any links with with happiness or um, life satisfaction? Yeah, so personally, I have done some work looking at the relationship between group identification and uh, happiness. The way we measured happiness. Um, in this study was uh, through a measure called Satisfaction with Life, which um, positive psychologists often use as a kind of proxy for happiness. It's a measure of kind of, as the name suggests, people's general sense of life satisfaction. So you give people items like, um, if I was to change, uh, to, have, to live my life again, I'd change almost nothing and get people to rate their agreement with these items. The argument being that um, if you give people these general statements, they can kind of decide for themselves how to weight different aspects of their lives when deciding how satisfied they are with their life, rather than saying, how satisfied are you with your health or how satisfied are you with your career? You can kind of let them make that decision and weigh up the different elements internally and then come to an overall decision about how satisfied they are with their life. Um, and this is generally considered to be one element of measuring happiness, not the only one, but it is one that's frequently used. And in our study, we looked at the relationship between um, the number of groups participants identified with. So we asked them how much they identified with their family, their local community, and then a third group of their choice. So that could be um, a sports group, a hobby group, a support group, whatever it may be. And we looked at the number of groups that they identified with out of those three. So it could be zero, one, two, or three um, groups. And we found that the more groups they identified with, the better their satisfaction with life was. Um, and that was a, a huge number of people we asked. It was um, almost 4,000 people. Um, and they were from both Scotland and Italy. It was part of a large project I was involved in a few years ago. So we did find this relationship between group identification and life satisfaction, even when you control for things that we know often impact on how happy people feel. So things like gender, age, uh, whether or not they were in employment, uh, their nationality, how much physical contact they actually have with members of the group as well, which was quite interesting. So it shows that 
even if you're not necessarily having a lot of contact with the members of these groups, which is probably the case at the minute with the pandemic, you can still experience this subjective sense of belonging to the group. And it's that which matters satisfaction, even when you control for that amount of contact you're having. So some nice evidence there showing that it's this sense of belonging to the group that really links in with how satisfied you feel with your life. So also you talking there about the, the sort of different groups that we identify with. Um, so does the does, for example, you, you mentioned at the start that you obviously you identify as a, a, a Scottish woman. Are there certain things that are um, certain groups that are almost um, compulsory is the wrong word, but um, sort of uh, gender, uh, nationality that are sort of set and the other groups that are also by choice as well, or is it a bit of a mixture, would you say? So I think there will be groups that all of us belong to. So as you say, things like your gender, your nationality and so on. But certain people will um, attribute more psychological importance, I guess, to certain groups. So some people never really think about their gender as even being a group they belong to and don't really um, see it as something that defines them as an individual, their membership of that group, similar with nationality, whereas other people, for them, their nationality is kind of the fabric of who they are. So that's quite what's quite nice about this measure of group identification, because it can differentiate between people who um, are, for instance, Scottish, but don't really ever think about that or feel like it defines them or feel a sense of belonging to that nationality versus people who identify very strongly and for them being Scottish is really part of who they are. Um, so I think it's getting this uh, this distinction, if you like, between um, being a member of a group and actually feeling this subjective sense of belonging to the group. A nice example I use a lot is family. So majority of people have a family, but for some people that family membership is going to be very positive. They're going to have a sense of being supported by their family and have a lot of solidarity and positivity in those relationships within that family group. And there's evidence of uh, group identification there. But for others who don't identify, it could be that that group um, is a source of stress. There may be judgment within the relationships. There may be a lack of support. Um, they may not be getting any of those um, good kind of resources that we said you need to unlock through group identification to lead to health and well-being. So there are cases where a group can actually be um, potentially harmful for our health and happiness uh, because we do not have these uh, the sense of identification. In fact, that's kind of the flip side of the social cure. We call that social curse, um, where a group is actually bad for our health and happiness. And there's lots of ways that can happen. So one is the sense that the people in the group are judging you, uh, not giving you support. It can also involve um, situations where your group is stigmatized in the wider society or community. So people who use food banks, for example, or um, people who um, have recently migrated into the country. Uh, and there's also the possibility that your group cares a lot about you and supports you a lot, but the norms that they encourage you to engage in are unhealthy. Um, so 
uh, I don't know, a group of um, young teenagers who encourage each other to binge drink and to smoke, for example, that would obviously be harmful to people's health within the group, even though they're getting a lot of support and identification. So there's various ways that groups can actually um, harm us uh, as, the, as well as helping us. And it can be quite a complex um, interaction between those two processes. So you, you also mentioned there that um, about sort of life satisfaction uh, linking with the groups that we identify with uh, and obviously where we've put the most weight in terms of group membership. Is there an argument then that in a long-winded roundabout way that life satisfaction is almost um a collection of decisions or choices that we make depending on which groups that we identify with i mean i i would never say that group identification is the only predictor of satisfaction with life um there there certainly will be other elements our research showed that it can be an important predictor of life satisfaction um I think I normally when I um, talk to audiences about how to kind of unlock the social cure in your own life, um, get people to think about groups that they might want to join or reconnect with that they're likely to identify with. Um, so that tends to be unsurprisingly groups that share similar values to you, um, similar interests to you. These are kind of ways to shortcut that identification process and increase the likelihood that you're going to feel that sense of belonging and commonality, which, as we know, then unlocks all these positive aspects. So I think there's quite a lot of things that people can do to ensure that they have a nice, rich social landscape that contains lots of groups that are psychologically meaningful to them. And a big part of what this research suggests in terms of practical application is to kind of think about your social landscape like you would think about any other aspect of your health and well-being, the aspects of your behaviour that you do to try and increase your well-being and happiness and so on, things like exercise and good diet and watching how much you drink and stopping smoking and so on. We know that even though GPs uh, and our society tell us a lot about these behaviours and making sure we do these things to keep ourselves healthy and happy, actually there is um, a huge impact on our not only the quality of our life but also the length of our life through how well we are socially connected to others. And I think it's, it's a big issue that I've noticed in this research is that we need to get health professionals to understand that kind of more social side of health, the more holistic aspects, um, that health is not completely based on the medical model. It doesn't just begin and end with um, things like medication and diet and so on. Of course, these are important and they're going to impact on how healthy and happy we are. But we need to also bring in um, these social aspects and thinking about how we create a rich social landscape for ourselves where we have lots of groups we identify with. And then we're more likely to unlock all these positive um, resources and benefits that's going to lead to more happiness and, and health, basically. Um, you mentioned right at the start that um, the more groups that we identify with, the higher um, our life satisfaction will be mm. is there an is there an argument that 
in, in that old adage that variety is the spice of life. Absolutely. I would say that is um, a very a good way to think about this situation. One of the reasons we think that having more groups and more group identifications is better is because, as I said, one of the things that really matters when you have lots of uh, groups around you is you get this social support. So when you're struggling or have a lot of stress going on, you know that people are going to be there to support you. And there's lots of different types of support that we'll need in different situations. So sometimes you might need emotional support. Sometimes you might need informational support, sometimes financial support. And the advantage of having lots of groups that you identify with is you're going to be able to know which group to go straight to for a particular problem or a particular stress. So having lots of variety there, as you say, means that you're more likely to be able to uh, quickly get effective support regardless of uh, the problem that's happening. Uh, and similarly, we know that if you happen to lose a group from your landscape of groups, if you like, this often happens during a life transition, for example. So um, a good example is when young people leave high school and move into university or move into the world of work. They're going to lose um, certain friendship groups, for example, and have to try and gain new ones um, in terms of university groups or uh, groups of colleagues and so on. Similar things happen when we retire or when we become a parent, for example. That transition can be very stressful, partly because we may be losing some of these social groups. But if we already have lots of other groups there, not putting our eggs in one basket, as the saying goes, then you've got these other groups to kind of pick up the slack and to help you uh, stay supported during this time of great transition. So it's another good reason why we need lots of groups, meaningful groups in our lives. It just stops that stress um, from being such a big impact. It buffers the effect of the stress on our health and happiness, basically. It's really interesting for me uh, so we're listening to what you're what what you're talking about because I'm from a I'm from a sports science background. Okay. Uh, so, um, in my 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 sort of main sport is athletics, which is a very outcome orientated sport. Hello. Oh, my internet died. Apologies. Oh, oh no, technology. Yeah. <sighs> yes, it's the bane of our life at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I was yeah, I was just saying that um, uh, I'm from a sports science background and athletics is my main sport, which is a very objective, outcome-orientated environment, mm. uh, very sort of end results-directed. And it appears that the sort of life satisfaction or the things that make us happy isn't necessarily the outcome. It's just being... A member of something? Yes. Um, so more and more people are starting to try and apply this work to, as you say, for example, sports, um, particularly team sports. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that when you feel strongly connected to the people in your team, um, you're more likely to have the benefits of health and well-being and happiness but also to achieve more because you've got that sense of support around you. So again, um, as you say, I think there's a lot to be said here for having that sense of process and having the sense of psychological um, connection to the people within your sport or within your team. 
and being able to feel that you can use the resources from the people around you to improve your performance um, and feel supported. So as you say, I think within sport, it's starting to kind of reveal through this work that there is much more to the process than just getting to the outcome, that the actual psychology of the, the team, the group, and how the team work together uh, to achieve goals can be really important to successful outcomes. So applying this work to lots of different fields like sports, like leadership and business, um, is definitely where the field is going. Because ultimately, as human beings, we work in lots of different areas, you know, we have different facets to who we are and the activities we do but one thing that's always the same is that we are social beings we work with others engage with others and we can see from the social cure work that we generally have this quite deep-seated need for social connection and to work with others and feel connected to others and if we can draw on that in different domains of our lives I think it will not only make us more successful but also allow us to be happier on that journey um, because it, it means we have the people around us who can share stresses with us and lighten the load, but also share the successes and the achievements. And that can be, I think, a really powerful thing. Is there any research out there that, that shows um, a connection between, um, for example, losing a, um, uh, a social group or having a negative impact from a social group and having a greater appreciation on the, the, the more positive social groups? Not directly on that that I know, but I have been involved in some work which kind of shows that a negative group or a group that has unhealthy norms for example the negative effects of that can kind of be um, counterbalanced by belonging to other groups that are more positive so we did some research um, looking at young people and the different groups they belong to and there can be some quite negative behavior norms associated with their friendship group for example but we found that that was countered by um, belonging to their school identity and their family identity so it's another nice way in which having a broad range of group memberships can help because if you have a group that's maybe not so good for you for whatever reason whether it's because it encourages you to do unhealthy things or you don't feel so connected to it um, and the lack of psychological connection is negatively impacting on your health then having those other groups there that are a lot more positive maybe that you know encourage you to go out for a run on a Sunday or um, give you a lot more social support that can help a great deal in sort of um, counterbalancing those negative effects so it's another really good reason to have that rich social landscape um last little section um obviously from the research that you've done into um social social identity and sort of implications of group memberships what um advice guidance or direction would you give the listeners in terms of um making sure that their life satisfaction or their happiness is as positive as it can be i would say that the main thing is pretty much what they're doing now which is is listening and engaging with work which highlights the relevance of group memberships for health and well-being 
Of course, a large portion of our happiness is going to be dictated by individual behaviours in terms of keeping ourselves healthy and uh, taking care of ourselves and so on. That's inevitable. But what this social cure work shows is that there is also this large chunk of um, the, the variance in health and well-being and, and happiness as well that comes from these social group memberships. So starting with an appreciation for social group memberships and understanding that um, taking care of our social world and making sure that it's healthy um, and varied is just as important for our happiness as checking on our exercise regime and our diet and so on. Uh, I think medical professionals need to appreciate that as well as just, you know, the average person in the street. Um, I think once you appreciate that, you can start to take stock of your social landscape, what it looks like. Could you maybe do with reconnecting with some groups that you've lost or joining some new groups? That's not easy for everyone. Some people really struggle with that. But finding groups that share your interests, values, um, maybe hobby groups that uh, or you know speak to interests you already have, for example, can be a good way to find groups in your local community, for example, that um, align with what you're interested in and you're going to be more likely to engage with and connect with and ultimately um, identify with. So just starting to think, is there um, a place in my social landscape for some new groups or to try and reconnect with groups I've lost? Enriching that landscape will quickly start to unlock some of these positive benefits such as social support, meaning in life, uh, collective goals, sense of control over things that are happening in our lives. All these basic psychological needs which we know need to be met in order to boost our sense of happiness and our well-being. So having an awareness, taking stock of our social world and thinking about how to improve it, these are all great steps in drawing on the social cure to benefit our happiness and improve our happiness levels. One final question has just popped in, in into my mind um, as you were talking there. Is there a like a balancing point of of uh, so, uh, social group membership in terms of uh, there being too many um, social identities and too many uh, groups that we are members of? I've not done research or seen research on that. Um, so we mm -hmm. only looked at a maximum of three groups in our study and we did find that um, happiness, life satisfaction increased with each new group identification but by the time we got to three it was pretty high, it was probably not going to get much higher um, so we could say that we were probably around a ceiling effect around three. Um, there is not necessarily a reason why more uh, would be problematic it, it would probably continue to benefit us i guess the only downside might be that you're spending so much time and resource engaging with all these groups that you might struggle to juggle it all and manage it all so i guess there is that kind of balancing act to be done in terms of how many groups um, can you belong to that are psychologically meaningful for you and still have time to kind of do everything else you need to do in your day and function um, as, as a human being. So I guess a sensible number would be somewhere around three or four groups in your life that are really meaningful to you and you feel bonded to. You're certainly going to unlock those benefits um, based on our findings. 
Well, I suppose it comes back to what you were saying about taking care of your social world and mm. kind of having the the confidence of if you do have if you do feel like you've got too many things up in the air, having the having that that confidence to maybe step away temporarily from something. Yes, having a, a sense of being able to reflect on um, your different activities and your um, responsibilities and knowing when things are a bit too busy, I think is really important. And if the group in question um, is one where you are feeling connected to it and the people feel connected to you, they'll understand that and appreciate that, you know, you're not going to leave, you are still connected, you may just need some, some time away. So it's what we were saying earlier that contact in some ways is kind of independent from this psychological connection to the group and just because you're not having a lot of contact for a period of time doesn't mean that you disidentify with the group it can still be really important to you which I think is quite comforting during the pandemic when people are often not seeing these important groups for a long time um, there is still this sense of the connection there that can still benefit you even in absence of that contact for a period of time. I suppose it it, it, it it comes down to that question of what do I need now? Yes. What 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 groups do I need around me now? And it's not necessarily um like you say, sort of uh getting rid of certain groups, you're just substituting groups in and out as and when you need them, I suppose. Yes, it, it's to some extent thinking about groups as as tools to achieve certain things that that can sound quite uh, manipulative and negative but you know we we give as well as receive uh, to groups so it's a two-way process but it's kind of what I was saying about different groups offering us different things and it's knowing when to approach different groups for different resources when we need them so um, being able to take stock of our groups in our life and reflecting on them um, and what they provide for us when can be a really useful um, way to do that there is actually an intervention um, called groups for health which is based on the social cure approach and one of the activities that people do when they're engaged in groups for health a map of their social world and to think about the groups in their life, how they connect to each other, um, the resources they gain from those groups. So it can be really useful to think in those terms about what we get from our different groups and when we need to approach them um, at different points in our life. That's really interesting. I've never heard that the, 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 the idea of creating like a social map of groups or a social group map. That's really interesting. I might try that myself, actually. Yes, it's it can be really good. I think it, it can quickly highlight to you maybe where things are going well in your social world and maybe where things are lacking a bit, where some more activity is needed to boost things. Uh, it can be quite an a enlightening exercise. People find it can be really useful. Well, uh, once we finish this podcast, I'm going to give that a go. <laughs> okay, sounds that good. Sounds, that, sounds, that sounds really interesting. Um, Dr. Juliet Wakefield, thank you very much for being part of uh, our little podcast community. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to the the research that you're doing and um, sort of the really um, unique research and, and findings that you've that you've got. Uh, it's really interesting. No problem. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed chatting about it. It's it's been an absolute pleasure. 
Um, what I'll do is I'll let you know when uh, I'll send you the link to the podcasts for when they're released. Okay. So you, so you can have a little bit of a listen to what, what people are saying. And Great. All that jazz. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Come back next time for more conversation about happiness.